Thank you, Amber. Uh, it's all pretty clear. Our marching order is pretty plain when Jesus left, and we've got to find our place in his plan of reaching the world. He's got a place for you, too. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 will begin in verse 1. We kind of stepped away from our walk through the Old Testament and the uh, children's Bible stories. Of course, we had Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, and I was away for a bit. And then, of course, uh, had Mother's Day. and Couldn't ignore Mother's Day. We we're back on track, walking through children's Bible stories. Any children's Bible story book will include this story. Daniel in the lion's den. Did this really happen? We read about these things. Say, Did this really happen? Well, the answer to that is established in the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, he said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now, those three words establish the fact that this is true because a prophet, to be called a prophet, had to establish credibility. And when a man was called a prophet, people knew he was telling the truth and what he said was right and what he said was accurate. So Jesus gave Daniel his endorsement and said, Daniel, the prophet, which means Jesus told us, you can believe every word he said. Daniel wrote this book. Daniel, the prophet, said this happened. Did this story really happen? Yes. And there are some very important grown-up lessons to live by that we need. Daniel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. Over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give an account of them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said this to him, King Darius live forever. All the governors of the kingdom and the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom 
since the early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the stories that, that attract even the attention of children. Father, we know these stories have in them some things that we need to know as grown-ups, as adults, facing an adult world with adult problems. We ask that we would look at the life of Daniel and especially look at your throne and find the answers we need for the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We have to kind of put things into context and answer some questions. We start right in the middle of a story. It says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. Well, we need to recognize Darius was the new king on the throne. You back up two verses in chapter 5, verse 30. Remember Belshazzar several weeks ago? The writing on the wall, he was the king. He was in power. He was the all in all for this kingdom. He was the one. And it says this, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. He's the new king on the throne. Now, he identified himself as the king, just like Belshazzar identified himself as the king. But we understand he and many others identified themselves as the king. But understand, he was only one of many who called themselves the king. And kings come and kings go. In fact, this is the fourth king in Daniel's lifetime. Daniel at this time was about 80 to 90 years old. He had been in the kingdom of Babylon and in and around the palace for 80 years, 70 or 80 years. He had seen four kings come and go, and every single king considered himself as the king. I'm the one. But we understand, just by these words, he was the new king, tells us this. Worldly kings and empires come and go. But God is on the throne forever. And the same God that was on the throne when Nebuchadnezzar took them away to Babylon and then he died, and then the other kings came and Belshazzar and he died, God was still on the throne. That is the one constant. Empires come and go. Countries come and go. And since then, there's been world leaders, world empires, and people coming and going Important people in our country come and go, politicians, athletes, entertainers, all thinking, I'm the one. They come and go, but the one constant is God will outlast them all. He is on the throne. The new king had an old problem, and the old problem was the human heart. You see this in verse 2. Over these three governors of whom Cant Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. He set up 20 satraps to be over the whole kingdom, but he needed three guys to be over these satraps. 
These were like administrators. But notice the phrase, so he would suffer no loss. Now, the way this is worded, and Hebrew scholars who know world history and know the language identified as the problem was this. The king could not trust the satraps. He could not trust his administrators. He could not trust the fact that they wouldn't be dishonest in their dealings. They would uh, steal things. They would embezzle things. And so we understand he had an old problem. The old problem was the human heart. So he said, man, I got to get some three guys, and you need to me account, you need to give an account for these guys. I want you to watch them. I want you to look at their books. I want you to look at everything they do, and I want you to, to go and back check behind them. Because I, I don't, I can't trust these guys. So that's why he had the three guys. But you see, they were dishonest not only in money, but we find out he was right. They were dishonest even in their dealings with him. It says that they came before King Darius and said this in verse 7, All the governors of the kingdom and administrators and satraps, the counselors and the advisors, have consulted together. Did all of them consult together? Who was included in this list of counselors? Daniel. Was Daniel involved in this? Absolutely not. How many satraps were there? 120. They were all over the kingdom. I mean, we're talking about thousands of miles between them. Did they consult with all those men? No. Did all of them meet together? No. So even in their dealings with the king and the accusations against Daniel, they were totally inhonest. They were lying through their teeth. They said, man, we've consulted. Everybody wants to do this. And so everybody's on board, and everybody, everybody's happy about this, old king. They couldn't be trusted. And the king had an old problem, and this problem was going to cause him a lot of grief. Then the new king discovers an old standby. You know, he puts Daniel and two others over the satraps because of this old problem. But the new king, of course, hadn't been there long, and he discovers an old standby. Verse 3 says, this Daniel distinguished himself above all the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was found in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. See, the king found out what Nebuchadnezzar did, Nabonidus did, Belshazzar did, that Daniel could be depended on. Daniel was trustworthy. Daniel would do a good job. Daniel would do his job. He would come to work every day, on time, do his job, do what he was asked to do, and he would do it right. He would do it well. He found out he had an old standby, and all these other kings had depended on Daniel. They'd come and gone, but here's that old standby, and Belshazzar discovered that. Dependable, honest, trustworthy, loyal, as an employee of the kingdom. Here's the adult Bible lesson. True devotion to God. True devotion to God. Not just lip service. True devotion to God will produce excellence in our character, in our integrity, in our quality, 
of work in every area of our life. Not just what we do on Sunday. Not just who we are when the preacher's around. It will produce integrity and excellence in every area of our life. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, an interesting passage of scripture for several reasons, Paul talks about what the world should expect out of the members of the church. Because, of course, they publicly identified with the church. They went and people knew that they identified with Christ. They went around, people knew they identified with the church. He said, here's what people need to see from you as they identify you as belonging to Christ and belonging to the church. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through him. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean just tacking in Jesus' name on something that we do or say. It means, can we put the name of Jesus on our work, on our behavior, and him not be ashamed of it? Can we put his name on something? And it measures up to what people would expect his name to be on. Everything we do, we should do it to where Jesus wouldn't be ashamed for his name to be on it. But it gets even more interesting. Down in verse 22. Bond servants obey in all things to your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Bond servants. Now what would happen is this. A man would get in debt. He would get in debt, and in order to get out of debt, he would sell himself to somebody to be their servant. Now slavery was rampant in Roman times. Now Paul was not endorsing slavery. Paul was acknowledging the reality of this, and a lot of people in the church were bond servants. So you can't go railing against slavery and just ignore that this is something you're going to have to live with because he couldn't change that. So what he had to do is, now I've got to deal with the fact that here are servants, bond servants, slaves that are in the church. And he said, bond servants, do everything you can to provide quality for the work for your master. Just like you'll be serving God. So that tells us as employees... If bond servants are expected to do a good job, if you're receiving a paycheck, you're expected to do a good job. We're expected as Christians to provide excellence, not excuses, when it comes to the jobs we do. Whatever it is and wherever it is, it doesn't just affect Sunday morning, it affects Monday morning and how we do our work. That is what true Christianity is about. A true believer and follower of God will do a good job, but it gets even more interested in verse 4. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing you also have a master in heaven. You see, he didn't give the masters a free pass. They were not above the rules of the church either. They were not above the rules of Jesus Christ either. If the rules of Christianity apply to anybody, and they apply to everybody, you couldn't look at two more opposite groups of people, the slaves and the masters, and Paul said, God expects the same out of all of you. Nobody gets a free pass. 
There are no big shots when it comes to the kingdom of the Lord. All of us are expected to live a life worthy to be called Christian. So we understand Daniel was an old standby because he was a true follower of God and it affected every area of his life. He was honest, trustworthy, dependable because not just of who he was, whose he was. But Daniel has a problem. You said, we bet he does. We got that den of lions to deal with. Well, before the lions became an issue, the snakes were slithering through the palace. We know the story. They could not find anything against Daniel. Now, why would they be wanting to find something against Daniel? Oh, back up. Daniel had such an excellent spirit. He was such a quality individual. It impressed the king, and the king was about to promote him to be over all these guys. In other words, I got one guy I can trust, Daniel, and he's going to hold these people accountable. Now, that disrupted their playhouse. Why? They were, they were embezzling. They were getting rich. They were, they were stealing things out of the king's treasure. There's no way he could keep up with that. Now, we've got this guy that's going to be breathing over our shoulders. He's going to mind our business and hold us accountable, and all of a sudden we can't get our little trickle of side money out of here? You can understand that? And, of course, that was the problem of jealousy. Now, let's look at the snakes. The snakes were confident of one thing, Daniel's consistency. They could predict what he would do. They would predict how he would handle the situation. They had watched him, and they said, we can't find anything wrong with his life. There's quality here. There's excellence here. There's trustworthiness here. We can't find anything, but we do know this. We do know that he's faithful to his God, and if we're going to trap him, we're going to trap him here because we know when these particular situations come up, we know how Daniel's going to act. Now, let's ask the question. Are we that predictable? Do people know that we'll do the right thing? Can they predict how we would respond in those situations? You see, so they laid a trap. He said, man, that was an effective trap. It trapped old Daniel, didn't it? Oh, no, no. Daniel wasn't trapped. King Darius was trapped. That's who got trapped. King Darius was trapped. You see, King Darius had a snake of his own. And his snake was pride. Now, King Darius seems to be a pretty decent guy. We understand he gets troubled about all this. He likes Daniel. He's all upset because now he's trapped. But how did he get trapped? These guys came and appealed to his pride and said, oh, what we want to do, we all got together and everybody's unified on this. You are the one. You are it. We want to be sure that the whole kingdom acts like it. So for 30 days... Nobody can ask anything of any other God or person. They got to come to you because you are it. Well, he liked that idea. And because of his pride, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, give me the paper. Give me the paper. Let me sign that. You see, the trap trapped the king. But now we got to deal with Daniel. It says, when Daniel knew that the decree was signed, 
It says quite clearly, he went home. Daniel didn't have to go home and fret. Daniel didn't have to go home and wonder and worry and, and, and search out all these solutions. Daniel knew what he was going to do. You see, Daniel is a portrait of peace in a troubled world. We live in a troubled world. We live in a troubled world on the world stage, don't we? We live in a troubled world on the national stage, don't we? And we live in a troubled world sometimes in our personal lives, don't we? We live in a world that can give us some trouble. Daniel's a portrait of peace. First of all, he was not detoured by the opposition of others. He knew that he now had the king opposing him going to the Lord in prayer. So we're talking about the king, the one who holds the power, he was all against Daniel praying. But he was not detoured by the opposition of others. When he had heard that this had been signed and all these people opposed his praying to God and the king himself opposed his praying to God, what did he do? He went home, opened his window like he always did, and he prayed three times a day. As he had since early days. He didn't have to wonder what he was going to do. They can oppose my devotion to God. They can oppose my godly lifestyle. They can oppose my worship. They can oppose the morals and the decency and the dignity that God has imparted to my life. They can, oppose, they can oppose it all together. They can disagree with it all together. But I'm not going to bobble, and I'm not going to sway, and I'm not going to back up. He did exactly what he had been doing all his life in serving God. He wasn't detoured by the opposition or disagreement of others. How much does it take to derail us from our devotion to Christ? Secondly, he could not be conformed or confused by the values shared by his culture. You see, the values shaped his culture in that you better be afraid of that king. That's, that's the values that say everybody was afraid of the king. Daniel was not afraid of the king. You see, the, the king didn't, uh, Daniel didn't have the values of the king, and he didn't value the same thing the king did. You see, they thought that Daniel would value the punishment to the point where it would derail his devotion to God. But remember a, a certain thing back in chapter 5. You remember when Belshazzar came and he was wanting to impress Daniel said, man, if you can interpret this dream, you just don't know what kind of bag of goodies I have for you. And what everybody else in the culture valued, he offered it to Daniel. And you know what Daniel said in verse 17? He answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. I don't care what your culture can offer me, and I don't care what you can offer me. I don't care about the things that you think are valuable or important or crucial. I don't share the values of my culture around me. So we understand he couldn't be conformed or confused. They had no effect on him. And how many times do I hear people getting confused because they say that this and that is, is okay to do? They say that if we say this and that is wrong, well, then now, now we're haters. And they're all confused because of the culture around us. 
Daniel could not be confused by the culture around us. How? Several things. Number one, an established pattern of prayer. You see, he had peace in troubled world because he was on speaking terms with God and he kept himself on speaking terms with God and he prayed every day, several times a day. The Psalms say morning, noon, and evening, I'll give my prayer to you. He prayed several times a day. Now, we can prescribe a certain time of prayer or we can be like the Apostle Paul said, you pray consistently, you pray continually all the way through the day. We need to be in prayer to God. You see, an established practice of prayer since the early times. Did you catch that? Since the early times. He had done it all his life. So now when the emergency came, he didn't have to get back on speaking terms with God. Let me say that again. When the emergency came, he didn't have to learn how to pray all over again. We need to be praying in the good times, and then we'll be ready in the bad times. He had a continual attitude of gratitude. Did you see what it said about Daniel? It says this. He opened his window toward Jerusalem, knelt down on his knees three times a day, and prayed, whoa, 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 and gave thanks before his God. He didn't just get out and pray and say, oh, man, I'm in a bind now, God. you got to be helping me. And if you'll help me do this, well, I'll do it. Oh, he knew all that. In his prayer, he gave thanks to God. Now, now what would he have to thank God for? He was in a pickle, right? He could thank God for who he belonged to. And that means everything in the world when we face troubled times. You see, he had a genuine relationship, realization of whose he was. He was not a servant to just another king. He was a child of the king of kings, and he didn't forget that. You see, he had peace in troubled times. He didn't let the values of the surrounding culture detour him because he knew who he belonged to. But then again, all of this is a firm dependence on God's word. A little bit later in the book of Daniel, we understand it talks about him understanding the words of Jeremiah. He knew God's word. Now, you might say, well, it doesn't say anything else about here about him knowing God's word. Oh, but we understand the results are in his life. The results are in his life. In the book of 119, verse 165, very short passage of scripture, but it might do well for you to turn there and to underline this passage. Because we're going to need what this passage talks about. If you don't already, we'll need it. He's a portrait of peace in a troubled world faced with an impossible decision. Look at what the 119th Psalm, verse 165 says. Great peace have those who love your law. Daniel had great peace. Therefore, I understand that peace can only come from one thing. That can only come from God. Great peace have those who, those who love your law and firm dependence on the reality and the truthfulness of God's word. He had great peace. But look at the next one. And nothing causes them to stumble. 
I think the King James says being offended, but the word there means to stumble. Things are rocking along. Everything's about as uh, predictable as it could be. And now, all of a sudden, Daniel's faced with an impossible situation. Did he stumble? No, he didn't stumble. He didn't waver. He kept on the path he was on because he had a firm dependence on who the Bible said God is and how the Bible said he should live and how the Bible said he would be taken care of. And he had great peace in troubled times. Wow. A lot of grown-up doctrines and teachings in this children's Bible stories. Who would have thought? And Daniel's not even in the lion's den yet. He's not even in there. There's some more lessons there. But we're going to close right here. We'll get to the lion's den tonight. So you've got to come back to the, next story, the rest of the story. But you know how it turns out. Let me ask you this. Do you have peace? Do you have peace when it comes to the immediate future? of what's going to happen of this, what's going to happen. Do you have peace concerning the immediate problems you have? Do you have peace concerning the ultimate future? What happens when you die? And we're all going to. Do you have peace concerning that? You see, God wants you to have peace in troubled times. Let me ask the question. Those who claim the name of the Lord, will it make a difference tomorrow? Will it make a difference when things are going as usual in how we live? Will it make a difference when we face the emergencies? You see, let's get on speaking terms with God right now. Stay on speaking terms. And if you've got to make peace with God, why don't you do it this morning as we stand and sing? Number 99.